Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years older, old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May we pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts gathered in this space, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So friends, here we are on the Sunday that is perfectly sandwiched between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Somehow we have arrived at the end of 2019. Many of us are ready to close the door on Christmas, watch the ball drop, and we are suited for 2020. Forgetting about what happened in 2019 or forgetting about what did not happen in 2019. I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like it was just yesterday, though. I was feasting on Thanksgiving turkey, and then voila, it's Christmas, and now it's after Christmas, and I'm making my New Year's plans. Where did the time go? If I'm totally honest, the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas felt so rushed, especially in this season, especially this year. And I don't know about what's going on in your house, but in my house, we're getting ready to start taking down all of our Christmas decorations to put them back in a box and shove them back in the basement or the attic or under the bed or in the camper in the backyard with expired tags, wherever we can find places to store all of these things. 
Thinking about the way we take down all of our decorations and begin to prepare for the new year, though, has given me reason to stop and do some reflection and some thinking. And I really believe that when it comes to doing the undecorating, people really fall into three categories. Uh, three categories of undecorators, and I think that is a, a term that maybe I invented because Word, when I typed it into my, my sermon manuscript here, the Word uh, word processor put a squiggly line under it, so maybe undecorators is something I made up. But here are the three categories. Number one, the thief in the night. These are the people that as soon as the Christmas Day festivities are over, they have already stripped their Tannenbaum and they have already parked that tree out on the curb somewhere in the middle of the night. So on the day after Christmas, that tree is already there. This happened in my neighborhood. The tree is situated perfectly on a property line between two lots. I have no idea which neighbor put it out. So, but only, only we can suspect which one it was. Again, this was the thief in the night. Mysteriously, the tree has appeared on the curb. Then there are the people that I would call the New Year's Day undecorators. And this is where my family falls most years, partly because I had a superstitious grandmother who, who ground into my memory, into my brain during my whole childhood that it was bad luck to take down your Christmas tree before the new year. It was kind of like she invented the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not taketh down ye Tannenbaum before the new year, or else your life will stinketh for 12 months. And then we come to the Cupid, the Cupid Christmas undecorator. These would be the ones who wait till sometime mid-February to take down their tree. And if you use an artificial tree like I do, that's really not a problem. But if you prefer a real or a live tree, just be warned that by Valentine's Day, this fur in your living room will be highly flammable. And don't be surprised if woodland creatures are peering into your window, coveting your tree because they would like to make it their permanent habitat. There really is no judgment if you are a Cupid undecorator. I want you to hear that. I am not judging you, but just be warned that if you have a high pile carpet in your living room around your tree, those needles will stick around for a while. Just imagine dried needles poking you in your bare feet come summertime. But no matter how you approach the holidays or the cleanup following the holidays, I feel like part of our human condition or part of our struggle, not only during the holiday season, but for much of the year is our desire for fulfillment, our desire to be fulfilled by rushing about in our daily lives. We fill our lives to capacity as we rush from appointment to appointment to meeting to meeting to function to function, and we never stop truly to soak in and to realize what this birth of Jesus is all about. That God is working to redeem our relationships, our families, our busy calendars, our brokenness, and our propensity to rush through our lives. Even though during Christmas we focus on the birth of Jesus, I think that we should also take time to remember the work of Jesus that is recorded in the Gospels and also take time to reflect upon the death of Jesus on the cross and his burial in a borrowed tomb, and then finally his resurrection. 
because really without Easter there would be no need to celebrate Christmas, for it is the birth, the work, the death, the resurrection that bring us redemption and restoration. It is the work of Christ that brings restoration and redemption to our busy, busy lives. But we must simply be open to Christ's movement in and around us. When I was in seminary, I sat at the foot of a retired United Methodist minister, Don Haynes, who taught many of the adjunct classes where I attended, and he taught many of the United Methodist study courses that we were required to take, things like United Methodist polity and United Methodist history. And I will share that, you know, when you're reading the discipline, the little brown book that guides how we do church work in the United Methodist Church, or as you study the timeline of Methodism in America, the subject matter can be a little boring and a little lackluster. So Don, though, he had a way of making his classes very interesting and engaging. He was a great storyteller, and he, he had a great passion for the church and a great passion for his students. He really wanted us to end up to be good ministers and good preachers, but he also wanted us to be great people of faith, good disciples of Jesus Christ. And so he would break up the laborious lessons about which paragraph in the Book of Discipline says what and about when Wesley ordained somebody and sent them to America. He would break all of that up with stories and anecdotes, and some were from his own experiences in life. He told us things that he had learned about being a United Methodist pastor. And his stories had much more impact on me and forming me to be a minister than memorizing the timeline of Methodism in America. One story in particular that Don shared took place when he was a young pastor and had a young family, and he was busy doing all the things that ministers have to do, doing his visitation and writing his Bible studies and teaching his Bible studies, prepping sermons and delivering sermons, officiating funerals and weddings, all the things that a minister does during his or her vocation. One day, as he was living his busy life and conducting his busy ministry, he noticed that he had a few extra minutes in the midst of his day and decided that he would fill those five minutes with the task of washing his car. So he pulled out the water hose and the bucket and the sponges and all the things that one would need in order to wash their car. When one of his children came to him and said, can we help? Don was admittedly frustrated because he knew this task should only take about five minutes, but when you introduce the labor of children into the midst of car washing, this was going to be a much longer event. So he said yes. Frustratingly, he said yes. And of course, this five-minute event was stretched on for 30 minutes, but it was 30 minutes of sheer joy as he watched his children laugh and they sprayed each other with the water hose and they were soaked and there were suds everywhere and did the car even get washed? Who knows? But the point is, is that that was the best 30 minutes of Dawn's day, even though he was in a rush. If I dare, I will add my own commentary to Don's story because I believe it's a story about a man who longed to be fulfilled by his work. 
But God showed up to bring fulfillment to dawn's day through the invitation found in the voice of a child that said, Daddy, can we help? I imagine that for those 30 minutes, it seemed as if the world stood still for dawn so that he could experience a taste of fulfillment that could only come from our God. That story stuck with me, not because I am a pastor or a dad, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ or people of faith, I believe, find their joy not by striving to be fulfilled with doing, but are fulfilled by being. Being in the moment and seeing the joy and love of God all around us. We are tempted, however, to rush through our lives trying to be fulfilled with work and projects and travel. But when we rush through life, we miss witnessing the redeeming work of Christmas and Easter all around us. I feel like the great big God that we worship and the God that we serve, the very one who created all of us, the very one who hung the stars in the heavens, rushed to earth to be born in human flesh as a baby laid in a manger to be Emmanuel, God with us, so that his love and presence would be enough to fulfill our every desire and we would no longer feel the need to rush about. We see this in our scripture lesson for today, the rushing that was done on our behalf. The Holy Family is called to rush. Two times the angels appear to Joseph and we might just skim over this text and read it with a small little voice. Get up, Joseph, take your family. No, that angel was there. Get up, get going, go. Take the baby Jesus and escape the wrath of Herod. And then when Herod died, the angel appeared again. Get up, get going, go back to Israel for there is work to do on behalf of God's people. You see, I truly believe that through the rush of the Holy Family, through the rush of God, through Easter, through Christmas, the death and the resurrection, we can have reconciliation and redemption and restoration in our lives. And this is a gift from our God. But I'm afraid that we take on the rushing ourselves. We rush through Christmas seeking fulfillment without taking the time to pause and to reflect on the redeeming work that has been done on our very behalf. I want to share with you one of my favorite Christmas memories. This took place in my family well over 10 years ago. It actually started with the weekend of Thanksgiving. We have family that lives in Tallahassee, Florida, and for many Thanksgivings, we make the nine plus hour trek down to Tallahassee. There's no way to get there. It's just winding roads all the way, no highway. Even a blimp, I think, can get there quicker. So we make our way to Tallahassee. Then sometime on Saturday, we make our way back to North Carolina so I can report to duty on Sunday morning. And this particular year, our boys were very small, maybe preschool age, early, early elementary age. And we got up before daylight on Saturday, put them in the car, still in their pajamas. And we left Tallahassee to start making our long journey back to North Carolina. And as you could imagine, around daybreak, the boys started to stir in the back seat in the back of our minivan. And then we began to hear messages 
I'm hungry, to let us know that they were ready to get out of the car and find something to eat. And by this time, we had only made it as far north as Moultrie, Georgia. Please don't be offended if you're from Moultrie, but it is not a thriving metropolis, and there are not many places to stop and have breakfast. But we were in luck. There was a Crystal Burger open, and so we parked our car in the parking lot of the Crystal Burger, and we went into the restaurant and approached the counter and ordered our food, and we paid for it and received it, and made us a place in the dining room at a wobbly table and sat there and ate our breakfast. My oldest son, though, as he was spooning grits to his mouth, was staring off in the distance in the dining room at two women who were busy at work, wearing their Crystal Burger uniforms. They must have drawn the short straw that year, and it was their task to decorate the interior of the Crystal Burger for Christmas. So they were working hard, decorating, trimming the tree, a five-foot tiny tree on one of the tables in the restaurant, but they were having the time of their lives, laughing and giggling. They were light on their feet as they strung the lights and added the garland and then added the ornaments and the tree topper. And again, my son Elliot was watching every move, memorizing every step they made. Before they finished, they pulled out a small box and the box contained silver tinsel. And these two ladies with laughter and joy took the tinsel out of the box and strand by strand, they adorned that tiny tree. It was as if they were putting icing on a cake, making sure to cover every single spot on the tree. We finished our breakfast, we got back into our minivan, and completed our journey back to North Carolina. The next Saturday was our time to decorate our house, our family tree for Christmas, so we pulled everything out of the storage room and we, like I said, we are artificial tree people, and so we put the seven-foot tree up. It was a pre-lit tree, which is really just code for it's not going to work either. And so I spent many hours, it felt like, assembling the tree, connecting all the cables and the wires, and finally it lit up. My wife and my boys and I, we spent even more time fluffing each branch on this seven-foot tree, and then we added our own yards of beaded garland. And then we handed over the job of placing the ornaments on the tree to our boys. They were small, after all, we wanted them to experience the joy of hanging the ornaments on the tree. And we really didn't care how they put them on there as long as they got there and they had a good time doing it. Although I did use my dad ninja skills and put a few ornaments on the back of the tree so it would not be heavy and lean to one side or maybe even fall over in the middle of the night, scaring us in the midst of Advent. So we finished putting up the tree, the decorations were on, we unwrapped the angel that would go on the top we took her out of the bubble wrap, placed her on top of the tree, plugged her in, and she lit up beautifully, and we were done. But then Elliot, in a very serious yet innocent tone, says to me, Dad, when are we going to put on the Easter grass?
I can see what he was thinking. After all, silver tinsel does resemble the colorful artificial Easter grass that we stuff baskets with on Easter morning. That question has stuck with me and resonated in my heart for every Christmas since. Because Easter is part of the story of Christmas, part of God's love story to you and to me, the story that invites us into God's redeeming work, that invites God's redeeming work into our lives each and every day. It's the invitation to slow down, to feel God's presence and to trust in his grace and his promise to make all things new. So I believe that question from Eliot was spot on. When are we going to put on the Easter grass? Not just on the Christmas tree, but when will we stop and adorn our very lives with the promise of Easter? So might that be our task in the new year in 2020, to put on the redeeming work of Christ so that we can be fulfilled in a Savior who has already done all the rushing around on our behalf. A Savior who says to all of us, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.